like a phoenix rising from the ashes, we're back, baby. This is chapter one of the newly launched Author Talks with Lisa T. And like any good makeover, we're rocking a new look, not to mention a new name, new socials, and of course, new author interviews. This podcast will be everything you loved about the old Author Talks, but with one big difference. We're going to be focusing on one book each month as handpicked by me. It's just like that other blonde with the book club. No, not that one. The other one. Anyway, just know I won't steer you wrong. And if I do, you can always chew me out on Twitter. But enough of that. It's time now to jump into our first chapter. Eighties nostalgia, time travel, second chances, even a murder mystery. There is something for every reader in I'll Stop the World, the debut novel from Lauren Toman. Set in both 2023 and 1985, teenager Justin Warren finds himself trapped in the past as he races against the clock to stop history from repeating itself. Will he succeed? Can he do it without the internet and cell phones? I chatted with Lauren about her fun and twisty ride through time. I'll Stop the World is a multi-point of view time travel mystery. It's about a modern teenager whose life isn't going the way that he might hope. And then it takes a serious U-turn when he finds himself inexplicably transported back to the year 1985, um, one week before the grandparents he never met mysteriously perish in a fire. So um, he teams up with a teenager um, from 1985 to solve and prevent the deaths of his grandparents, hoping that maybe that's the reason that he's back there. It's funny. My first question was, would you describe it more as like a sci-fi time travel novel or more of a murder mystery type of novel? It's the time travel without the scientific part of it. I mean, there's a lot of more philosophical science if um, you put, you know, under that umbrella um, in terms of the like why and how does the universe work. But um, no, I would definitely not call it a sci-fi. It's more, I tend to think of it more as a speculative mystery. And I think everyone's next question is, did that song from the 80s inspire the title of the book? It did. But the funny thing was, um, it didn't come until very, very late in the writing process. Um, so it wasn't an inspiration for the book. It did inspire the title. Um, and then there's a scene in the book uh, where they're talking about that song. And that scene was written very late in the game after the title, after the rest of the book was written to kind of like tie the title into the book a little more. But you know, I don't, I'm trying to remember that scene. I don't think you specifically mentioned the song by name, right? I didn't. And technically I could have, there's a whole thing with music in books where there's these copyright issues. Mm. So you can't actually use song lyrics in a book. Um, but titles are not copyrightable so you can mention a song title and because my title like any titles aren't copyright so I can use lyrics in a title but not in the book itself and so that scene was a little bit of a dance around trying to figure out can I talk about a song without and like what the song means without ever actually quoting any lyrics from the song um like I technically could have used the title of the song I could have said I melt with you but it was just kind of fun to never 
say it. It was sort of a, an exercise just for me of like, can I make it really obvious what song I'm talking about without ever saying what song I'm talking about? Well, I'll note for people who are listening to this podcast, the reason that they can't hear or I won't be playing any part of that song is also because of digital copyright reasons mm -hmm. and you can't do it. So you're going to have to go to YouTube and listen to it for yourself if you want to trip down memory lane. Yeah. And it's funny because the characters in the book have ac actually know two different versions because Modern English recorded a lockdown version of that song during COVID all from their separate homes and put it up on YouTube. And that's the version that my modern character is most familiar with um, is the lockdown version. And, you know, my 85 characters, obviously more obvious with the original version. You can track down both. I think a lot of the fun of your book comes from throwing this teenager from 2023 back into mm -hmm. 1985 because anybody who lived during that time period knows there are some really huge changes. And I think the biggest yes. that probably comes to top of mind, uh, no cell phones and no, mm -hmm. and therefore no internet at the, the, the tip of your fingers. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. really fun to watch Justin try to figure out a murder mystery, knowing that he can't just go to Google and look something up. Yeah. And he definitely laments his lack of Google ability numerous times. He's like, this would be so much easier <laughs> if I could just Google it. Like, why do I have to do things this way? But, you know, for me, I, I was a teenager in the 90s, not the 80s. But I was like, oh, yeah, this like, it was actually kind of that easy to slip back into that mindset of like what it was like. And it's like, yeah, you you kind your world was a lot smaller back then. And just what was right in front of you. So that being said, what would you miss the most if you found yourself in 1985 tomorrow? Um, I mean, I think probably I would I mean, it would be the Internet, um, even though I feel like I would be kind of like Justin in that. I would miss the convenience of information right at my fingertips. But at the same time, I think I would find it a little bit freeing to not have it all. Um, that said, I'd also probably really miss uh, streaming <laughs> and, <laughs> and the ability to just like watch whatever I want, whenever I want. Cause without yeah, commercials, it, it was <laughs> without commercials, but I'm like, they don't know what it is to channel surf, to just try to like find something on that's like, at all decent to watch and entertain. So um, I being used to that now, I would probably really miss it. So as someone who grew up in the 90s, like I grew up in the 90s as well, why set this book in the 80s? There were a couple reasons. Um, one, I was trying, I was playing with the ages of the characters and trying to make sure that he was going far enough back that I wanted his grandparents to, you know, obviously have had his mom, because otherwise he wouldn't exist before they died. But also I wanted them to be as close to his age as possible, like adults, but not much older. So I was playing around with the, with what time made sense. And then, um, and originally actually I had him going back much earlier um, in, but the book took so long to write. I had to move up the time period a few times to still make the, all the generational math make sense. Um, but once I realized I was like probably the most, it makes the most sense to set it in the 80s. Um, then I, I 85 became the obvious choice because that's the year that the first Back to the Future movie is set. And so that was my fun little like nod to Back to the Future. So did you and I'm sure you did some research uh, about mm -hmm. the decade and about what people were wearing, watching, mm -hmm. doing. 
Did you come across anything that became like your favorite part of the 80s? I did a lot of making sure that the, you know, the things I was referencing um, were a thing in 85. And that was actually a little harder to peg down than one might think because a lot of like articles about clothing and stuff, it just talks about like the 80s. And I'm like, well, when in the 80s? Like, was this a thing? Um, but so, like I discovered that um, originally I had a character wearing out a videotape from Blockbuster. And then I realized Blockbuster wasn't a national chain yet by 85. I think it was like 86 that it became a thing. So I was like, never mind. They went to the library <laughs> and got this. Um, or I I wound up doing like what turned out to be a, somewhat of a contentious poll where I was trying to figure out what year um, tight rolling your socks and your jeans was a th- became a thing again in the 80s because it like was a trend in like the 50s and then it became back in the 80s but apparently it was regional as to where that was a thing so those sorts of things were just really interesting to me to find out like all these different trends and things and where in the U.S. um, different things were happening um, at what time and how trends would sort of like roll through the U.S. and they'd hit different places at different times and that was all the tight rolling wasn't even in the book. It was just for um, <laughs> artwork that I commissioned for the book. Um, so like little things like that were fun. There's one there. There's one outfit that a character wears at one point in time that is specifically modeled after a an outfit. One of my friends wore to her eighth grade dance in 1985. And it's just like top to bottom, her exact outfit. And, you know, my copy editor was like, we can't necessarily... I don't know if this shirt existed in this year. It might not have been till later. I was like, no, 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 no. This one I know. This, this one photographic, I, photographic evidence, evidence that I love this that. shirt existed <laughs> in the 80s. So those sorts of things were, were fun of trying to exactly date like fashion and foods and pop culture and all that. I think after the technology, what bewilders your main character, Justin, the most are the fashion choices. Yeah. Yeah. Like when, you know, because he comes back just with the clothes on his back which you know at least he's not in a terminator situation like at least he got to keep his clothes <laughs> and he winds up wearing his same jeans all week long which they're probably disgusting by the end of it but um you know he borrows shirts from you know a teenager there and there's definitely where he's looking and he's like why so much hawaiian print like why is this <laughs> the look why is everything so gigantic like um, you know, and looking at the girls with their blue eyeshadow and the perms and being like, I don't understand. And the shoulder pads, like, I don't understand any of this. This is very, like, when, why did people think this was the thing? Um, and now it's funny because a lot of that stuff is coming back for the, for teenagers now. And like, I go to pick up my kids from high school and I see kids wearing some of that stuff and bringing back some of those styles. And I still, I'm like, it, it it wasn't good then. Why are, why is it coming back? I don't understand. Right. You would think only the good parts of fashion that people liked or that caught on would be the things that come back, but it ends up being like the really bizarre out there things. Yeah. The stuff that, you know, that most of us that were there were looking back and going like, Ooh, I regret that choice. Like, why did I ever think that looked good? And now I guess teenagers are doing it again. They, <laughs> they think it looks good again, somehow. Every 30, 40 years, it gets recycled. It's really apparently amazing to, to, to watch. I want to go back to um, the story itself, because as as Justin and his friend Rose are, are trying to figure out what happened to his grandparents, they end up having very philosophical conversations, like mm-hmm. you alluded to earlier about the universe, um, 
but also this idea of whether or not our lives are um, destined by fate or whether mm-hmm. there's free will and this whole idea that one small action in the present can change the future. Mm-hmm. Where do you fall on that debate? I I honestly don't know. Like it's, I, I wrote this book. It's funny. Cause I said, I mentioned this book took a very long time to write. And so I, I was in a different place when I started it than I was when I finished it. And so those conversations that they have throughout the book, they changed a lot as I was writing. Cause I mean, I worked on this book on and off for eight years. So that's a long time to, it's a lot, there was a lot of things happening in my life that were affecting, you know, what I thought about different things. So um, at one point, you know, when I started, I probably was a lot more on the Rose side of the spectrum. And then by the time I finished, I was a little closer to Justin going like, I don't know, um, like where he doesn't, he doesn't rule anything out, but he doesn't know what he can rule in either. Um, and I think I wanted to write a book that gave kind of both ways of thinking an opportunity to really be explored and not necessarily land heavily um, on one of the, and I know like, obviously the book does not go on forever. There is an ending to the book. So, um, you know, you could, there, there could be an argument made for that. I do land somewhere by the end, but I think that whole idea of just not ever being able to truly know, and just so having to make the best choices you can with the information you have, which is never as much information as you want, um, is a thing that anyone can relate to. And that's kind of where I landed on it is you need to be aware that the things you do can have impact that you are not, you can't foresee. Um, and you know, and we don't actually get to go back and redo it like he does. And so And we don't know, like we can never know what we're supposed to do or what would have happened if we had done another thing. So, um, and that's sort of the argument that Rose winds up making is like, even if you don't believe the way I do that, you know, all of this happening for a reason, like, what does it hurt you to try? Like, what does it hurt you to act like there's meaning here as opposed to just giving up? And that's, I think, kind of where I am with it is like, well, I can't know but if I can't know, then what does it hurt to try? So during the course of writing this book, did did their story, did these story dramatically change? Or did you always know where you were going with what you were doing? I I always knew the ending. The ending came to me very, very early on in the process. Like I basically I I thought of the premise of the book. Um And then shortly after I was like, well, then what would I do with that? And I was like, well, I think it has to go end here. And so the, the question was how to connect those dots. Um, And the middle went through a lot of changes, a lot of different iterations, a lot of, cause I, I did not start this process as a plotter. Um, And I learned, you know, several years into it um, that you do actually need to plot a mystery, at least some, um, because my characters were just like, wandering around doing nothing for very long periods of time and I was just like this is not interesting this is (laughs) like it's not just he just spins in circles for a week and then the ending happens like he has to do something that actually leads us there um 
so yeah, the middle, you know, there were subplots, there were characters that are not there anymore, all sorts of different things happened. So does that mean every pantser ends up being a plotter at some point? I don't think so. I think there are, and I mean, there are people that would say they pan some mysteries and I just think that they've got to be doing a lot in revision to then <laughs> make that make sense. Um, so, I mean, I think that when it comes to writing books, I don't think there are any hard and fast rules that are universal for everyone other than you can't revise a blank page <laughs> and to finish it if it's going to be a book like but how you finish it and what is drafting and what's revision like I think it's it changes for everyone of eventually a plot winds up on the page somehow um but yeah I it's changed enough for me since I first started writing that I I can't I know that it can't possibly always be consistent for anyone else the book's been out for a little while now have you heard from readers gotten any feedback about the story itself or even just the the nostalgic time travel trip for them uh, I have it's been really interesting um I've gotten I've gotten several lovely emails and messages and you know tweets and Instagram posts and whatnot from readers that really really enjoyed it which has been wonderful um I some would say foolishly was reading reviews for a while and occasionally no. I still will um <laughs> mostly when I'm I'm very much like in a I I'm a very curious person and I love information I love to gather data and so like having this book out I was like well I want to I want to know the information I want to gather the data on like what people are responding to and what they're not and any every single writer is like don't do that and I was like well I'm just gonna do it a little bit and I had a friend where I was like, I need you to, if like, if you can tell this is affecting my mental health, I need you to make me stop. But as long as it's just like an information gathering thing and I'm fine, like, you know, and she was like, okay, I will, I will let you know when I'm like, I think we need to pull back from the reviews. So the reviews have been interesting because, you know, for there's reviews that are like the, the wonderful ones that are like, I love this. I cried best book I've read all year. Like, you know, one of my top favorites of all time. And like, those are the ones that make you want to like soar to the moon. And then there's the ones that are like, this is absolute drivel. I can't believe this got published. Did she even have an editor? This makes no sense. Ouch. Like, so that's where I was like, it's, it's, it runs the full gamut and it's very clear. It's like, wow, I re you really can't please everyone. Cause reader over here thought it was brilliant. Reader over here thought it was stupid. And like, I don't think there's going to be convincing either one of them to see the other. And as me, the writer, most of the ones who really hated it, I was just like, all right, I don't think these are going to be ever be my readers. Like, right. They, I don't think there's anything I could do to fix this. Cause I think they just want me to be a different type of writer, which I'm not. So you're not reading the reviews anymore. Not most, not most of the time. Sometimes I will get a little curious and I'll go read a couple of them try to make it a point to read more positive ones than negative like you can <laughs> sort by like star rating and so sometimes I'll be like okay that one kind of hurts so we're going to filter by just the five stars and just read those for a little bit to try to like balance it out mentally um but there's only been a couple reviews that I actually can only think of like 
one review that really made me irritated and it was not even related to anything I wrote. It was something they were implying about like, people like this can't do that. And I was like, no, 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 no. We don't make generalizations like that. I don't like that. Um, but for the most part, like, it's just one of those. I was like, okay, all right. Taste is, taste is very subjective. And apparently you're not going to be reading anything I write in the future. And that's fine. That's fine. Everyone nowadays seems to be wrapped up in like 80s, 90s nostalgia. You mm -hmm. have this book with a huge cast, a really diverse cast. I'm just curious, have you had any sort of, you know, feelers for, for screen adaptation? My publisher is Mindy's Book Studio, which is a partnership between Amazon Publishing and Amazon Studios. So um, the goal with the imprint, with Mindy's imprint, is she wanted to acquire books that she thought would easily translate mm -hmm. to screen adaptations. And Amazon got the first, you know, first dibs if they want it. Um, but as far as like whether anything's going to move forward with that, like I I don't know. I don't know right now. And of course with the writer strike right now, everything is on pause. Um, so I I don't know right now. I would love for something to happen, but I don't know if it ever will as of right now. And don't expect to hear anything on that <laughs> front for quite some time because I'm sure that once the strike Right, right now, everything's paused. Once the strike does end, everyone's going to be playing all sorts of catch up. So I think my whatever screen ambitions my book may have are going to be on the very back burner for quite some time is my guess. Well, and it gives you some more time to maybe work on what's next. Are you working on a new book? I am. I am. And I'm trying to um, one of the things that has been kind of consistent in in the more negative spectrum of the reviews is like, Oh, I wish I'd known this book was about teenagers. I wouldn't have read it. I don't like reading about teenagers, which, you know, to me, I was like, well, it, it, it is in the description, but, you know, not everyone reads those very closely. Um, my next one is kind of going to lean a little more. I, I always want to kind of straddle the line there because I'm fascinated by teenagers. I live with teenagers. <laughs> and so I'm fascinated by them and what, you know, how adults perceive teenagers and how they perceive adults. Um, so I'm still kind of straddling that line with the next thing I'm working on, but doing it in a little bit less of a YA sort of way and focusing a little more on that adult perspective of that, but someone that's just recently an adult. And so I still like to explore that world, but it's still going to be a mystery. There's still an element of the speculative. I've still got multiple points of view because these are just the things that are interesting to me. And this is probably always going to be I'm not necessarily always going to write mysteries, but probably everything I write is always going to have that dash of like, ooh, what's going on here? And also, oh, that's something that's not quite of our real world. And, um, you know, playing with different perspectives and all that stuff is just, that's what, that's what attracts me to writing in the first place. Are we going to have to wait eight years for it? No, that the goal is to not take eight years to finish <laughs> this one. Um, <laughs> I am trying, I'm trying a new thing, which is called book in less than eight years. So, <laughs> well, I wish you the best of luck in the meantime, while people wait for that new book from you, they can pick up. I'll stop the world. Lauren Thoman, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. It was a joy to be here. And that's where we close the book on this chapter. Coming up next time, 
Bend your camera down. What's that shirt you're wearing? Hey, you know, I'm a Ross shopper. It's a um, Nike Golf. I thought it was dry cleaned and starched and the whole deal. No way. I can make athleisure wear look good. You know me. <laughs> Allie Frank and Asha Yeomans join me to talk about their third collaboration, The Better Half. Until then, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Lisa T. Books. There's also a website in the works, but I got to tell you, I'm much better with words than coding. So that part of this new venture is taking a little bit longer than I would like. You can, however, email me at lisatbooks at gmail.com to subscribe to my newsletter and be the first to know when a new podcast drops. Keep turning those pages. I'm Lisa T. Lisa T.